right, tell me, tell me about the stories. What kind of stories? Oh, no, no stories. No stories? So what is it? What did you do today? I got up and came to work. There's a show, that's a show. <laughs> How is that a show? Well, uh, maybe, maybe something happens to you on the way to work. No, 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 nothing happens. Well, something happens. Well, why am I watching it? Because it's on TV. <laughs> Not yet. Hello, and welcome to When We Were Young, a podcast devoted to our favorite pop culture from our formative years, roughly around 1980 to 2000. In every episode, we take a look at a piece of pop culture from the past, discussing what it meant to us then, and then debating whether or not it still holds up now. I'm Becky, and I've got here with me Seth. Hi, Seth. Hi, I'm Seth, and I am the member of this podcast most likely to slather myself in butter and roast myself on my rooftop. <laughs> nice to meet you, Seth. <laughs> nice to meet you. And I've got Chris over here. Hi, Chris. Yes, I'm Chris, and I am the podcast host most likely to treat my body like an amusement park. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Becky. I'm most likely to let a nip slip during a Christmas card photo shoot. <laughs> Seasons ratings. <laughs> so um, after a couple of weeks of uh, diving back into the past just in the cinema, we're doing our first episode on television, and we decided what better television show to start with than what is hailed as the greatest sitcom of all time, Seinfeld. None better. We decided there was none better. <laughs> no, not really. Oh, we got a debate going on today. Oh, no, I was agreeing with you <laughs> no, we in were, a negative way. No, oh. we're, all, we're, all, we're all affirmatively negative here. Yes. <laughs> and we've already gotten off to a very Seinfeldian start. Oh, my, oh my God. Uh, <laughs> so let's start with a little bit of Seinfeld facts, because really we just want to get... There's so many episodes of this show. There's nine seasons to get through. Seinfeld facts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm caught off guard by <laughs> Seth. No one's expecting the Seinfeld. So uh, Seinfeld is created by Jerry Seinfeld and Larry David. They were two comedians in the 1980s. I suppose you could still call them comedians today. I suppose you could still call them comedians in the 1980s today. <laughs> Sometimes now in cars getting coffee, I'm told. Yes. Um, the first episode debuted on NBC on July 5th, 1989. The second episode uh, was on May 31st, 1990, so there was actually a big break in between episodes um, because they didn't think it would be a show. They actually uh, put it on the air as a special called The Seinfeld Chronicles, so they didn't even think it would be a show, let alone one of the greatest shows of all time that would last nine seasons. Some other shows that were popular at the time uh, upon Seinfeld's debut were The Golden Girls, Cheers, Murphy Brown, The Wonder Years, and Roseanne. Um, I'd say all those are still pretty good right now. I don't know. We'll have to like have episodes for each of them and figure that out. Uh, well, true. I'm just saying that we've all, you know, know of those shows. There wasn't anything that was popular that doesn't seem classic still today. That is true. Although I'm looking at the top ratings for the summer when uh, Seinfeld debuted. And there is Totally Hidden Video at number 11. And I have no idea what that is. Totally hidden television show. I think you can show. take a guess. <laughs> nope. I think it's uh, videos that are out in the open and everyone can see them all the time. That's what I think. Oh, also, uh, number, <laughs> moving on from that. They can't all be winners forever. Numbers Chris. four and five, Anything But Love and Dear John. All do right. You, I've heard this? of Dear John. Okay. Dear John. I even know the theme song. Apparently. <laughs> that give was, us more. That was it. That's all the theme song is. 
By the time you read this, I'll be gone. Oh, that sounds Guys, right. I don't know where this is coming from. There's a ghost inside of me singing the Dear oh John theme song. Where so is this coming two from? Two things. Your brain is possessed by jingles from our past. And number two, Dear John sounds like a suicide letter. Chris, please find this on YouTube. I am finding, well, I'm not finding it on YouTube. It is a show that starred Judd Hirsch, apparently. Oh my God. And uh, there were 90 episodes of this show. <laughs> Guys, scrap Seinfeld. We're doing Dear John right now. So we are sorry. I, it must be lingering from our uh, Blair Witch episode a couple episodes ago that Becky's now possessed by Judd Hirsch or something like that. The Hirsch Witch. <laughs> it's gone. It's been exercised. <laughs> Wonderful. So, Chris, you have some uh, some details about the ratings and critical response of Seinfeld at the time? I do. I do. Uh, so, uh, in Seinfeld's first season, uh, The Hollywood Reporter said this. Uh, what remains is a group of terrifically talented people, with Alexander and Louis Dreyfus standouts, who mix but never really mesh. Seinfeld, which had a trial one-shot last year as the Seinfeld Chronicles, is slated to run for three more weeks on NBC. That should be enough. Oh! And that's what happened, and we're talking about this obscure show that only had three episodes. Now, back to Dear John, the the most successful show of all time. We gather here today to bury Seinfeld. But on the other end of the spectrum, uh, Ken Tucker at Entertainment Weekly said, Seinfeld isn't laugh-out-loud funny, but it's one of the most amiable shows on the air. Right. Which is like an accurate description of the we first season for amiable. of yeah. Seinfeld. Yeah, the first season only had five episodes. And, you know, as I said, uh, the first one was six months before the rest of them. So it kind of was a slow burn. Mm-hmm. When did the show become like a popular hit? And did critics catch up to that? Did it become like a critical They did, yeah. The on? critics caught on before, okay. I would say, before most of the audience caught on. Um, in season four was when the show was nominated for a bunch of Emmys and won its first Emmy for, well, it's only Emmy for best, um, comedy series. That's surprising. Yes. It's only one, it only won that one year. I know. Yeah. It was nominated again, but, um, yeah, that was the first, uh, that, so that was really the moment, the fourth season. And that's when, I mean, you see a lot of the classic episodes that we'll talk about later, but the contest and some of those like emerging from the show. So that was really like when it all gelled together. Well, so like I, I'm, I'm also curious. Like, what were the rating? What were its ratings like at their peak? Because I know, you know, like the TV market is so much more fragmented now. Like a quote unquote hit show doesn't even have to have millions of viewers anymore. But at the time, like the shows that were big ratings hits had, you know, 10, 15, 20 million people watching. So, do you have like insight as to a bit? Yeah, like there's this. Uh article I'm looking at now on The Wrap, which says that Seinfeld at its time was kind of a considered a disaster in the first like couple of seasons, but it's still its ratings would have beat every show that's like a hit now. So that's hard to judge. I mean, I work in television today. And honestly, if you get like a point one, you're Oprah nowadays. It's incredibly difficult to get ratings because of, I mean, smartphones and the Internet. So hard to judge yeah, <laughs> based it, on today. Its first episode had an 8.0 rating, which is good today, not so good back then. Yeah, but that would at, be, that, that's gigantic today. That's but really at the happy. end of the show, so the last episode was the most watched episode, and it had uh, 76.3 million viewers. So Holy shit. That, that was, was actually, quite a jump. Yeah, that was actually, I've got some stats on, we'll get to the actual content of the finale, but as far as ratings goes, the most watched episode of Seinfeld was the finale with 76 million people. It was the third most watched TV finale of all time after MASH and Cheers. 
Um, for comparison's sake, the second most watched episode of Seinfeld was the second to last episode, the Puerto Rican Day Parade, with 38 million. So they literally double the amount of people watching the show from one week to the next. Wow. And it was almost like 10 times more from the pilot, which is crazy. But uh, so what about Dear John? How many did the finale of that 100 have? billion people watched. And then they people immediately even been born got yet, amnesia. The souls of all the humans that have ever inhabited Earth watched Dear John. It was oh. screaming Guys, in heaven. Why do I know the theme song to Dear John? I can't tell you anything no, about it. I assure you, I have not moved on mentally from that moment since then. I'm wondering what other lost sitcoms and shows we'll have find been out. stuck in your brain. Episode five, Dear John, guaranteed. You guys, the secret of this show is really just to tease out what's hidden in the deep recesses of <laughs> Becky's mental folds. Uh, Prepare for something dark and sinister. Well, speaking of my mental folds, I think that I'll... <laughs> I'll talk about my personal history of Seinfeld first because I probably have the most personal history out of the three of us um, because I'm from Long Island. Because you have and- two personalities inside of you? Like- <laughs> one is Newman. One is the soup Nazi. Oh, boy. All right. So I'm from Long Island and I'm actually from the part of Long Island where Jerry Seinfeld's sister lives. Her so- sister? So I would see... The real Jerry Seinfeld or the fictional Jerry Seinfeld? I don't know. <laughs> the fictional Jerry Seinfeld lives in Manhattan. Um, Well, he didn't, I don't think he lived on my peninsula in Long Island, but his sister did because I went to school with his nephew. And so my first memory of who Jerry Seinfeld is and the show was, it was pizza day and I was in third grade and everyone was lining up with like paper plates and napkins to get an autograph from somebody. And I was like, I'm just going to go with the flow because I'm a sheep. And I get an autograph from this guy. I remember vividly like looking up and seeing this person. Um, and then I go home and I'm like, mom, I got this autograph from somebody today. And my mom looks at it. And my mom um, was a comedian back in the day and she did stand up and she, you know, we'd always have st- stand up comedy um, on in the house. And so she was very uh, well aware of who Seinfeld was. And it was Jerry Seinfeld oh <laughs> who came because his nephew went to my elementary school. So it was and third it, grade? Um, he, I think his nephew was in second grade and I was in third. And so she was like, Jerry Seinfeld? And we she framed it, and we still have the napkin of Jerry Seinfeld's <laughs> autograph in a frame, like, on our mantle. Um, so sometimes we would see him driving in his luxury cars, like, visiting his sister. We'd just be like, there getting goes coffee. Jerry. <laughs> Go, getting coffee. He's obsessed coffee. with driving around getting coffee. <laughs> um, so it was just a normal part of my life. Seinfeld from a very early age, because after that, I would watch the show with my mom. And he would come around every other week and sign napkins, paper plates. <laughs> just anything on, you know. He signed a spork one time. <laughs> just really small and sharpie. Um, and so I, you know, I always loved Seinfeld. Seinfeld was never not on in the house. Um, in 10th grade, I went as Elaine for Halloween, and my friend went as Jerry. So he had, like, a cereal box, and he was wearing sneakers. He had a very easy costume. Uh, and yeah. I had to, like, build That's a really wall easy. of hair. <laughs> He didn't wear the puffy shirt? He didn't wear the puffy shirt. I told we couldn't find it. We were just like 10th graders, you know? We, there was no Amazon back then. Um, but I somehow like pieced together an Elaine outfit. And then every time the bell rang, I would get up and do the little kick stance. <laughs> what? Is that why every time we ring a bell around you, you do that dance? Uh-huh. Wow. I thought that was the ghost again, but <laughs> so many reasons. I can't help it. Um, so I've never not watched Seinfeld. Seinfeld's been on in my house literally since that day where I got an autograph signed by him. And last year, uh, my husband has never watched Seinfeld. So last year I watched every single episode in order with him. And now we're both obsessed with it and we quote it all the time. And so that's kind of why I wanted to talk about today, even though I don't have any distance from it, is that I just always thought it was, uh, 
Great. Spoiler alert, she's going to yeah, say that she sorry. hates it. Doesn't hold up. Doesn't <laughs> yeah. hold up. We, we were going to try to hold on to that. We were gonna yeah, try I can't. To... I can't. Well, I can get more into how much I love it later, but Chris, why don't you go now? Yeah, my history with Seinfeld is I uh, when I was in third grade, I met uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Michael Richards, and Jason Alexander, and they all signed my entire house. <laughs> Wow. 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 No, that's not Did you true. see them riding a bus together, like, around your neighborhood? Uh, yes, there was also that. It couldn't go under 50 miles an hour, though. So they couldn't stop and say hello. Uh, Speedfeld? <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad someone has taken the bad puns away from me. It's a, lot, it's a burden that's really hard it's to bear on It's just shifted from the right of me to the left of me. <laughs> Surrounded by bad puns, the Becky Bain story. My own history with Seinfeld is that I was always kind of aware of it. It just felt very adult to me when I was in elementary school. Like, it just seemed like a show for grown-ups. It wasn't something that really interested me. And then I remember, like, as it was getting toward the final season, there was just, like, this media frenzy around the show, which is what kind of made me, like, take uh, some interest in it. So that's when I started watching it. It was probably the last season, maybe, like, the second-to-last season when they kind of knew that things were wrapping up. Can I ask I re- you a question? Yes. Do you remember finding it funny or did you just watch it because that's what people did or or that's what adults did and you wanted to be hip with what the adults were doing? That is a good question because I was like a big fan. Like I looked back at my old journals from like seventh grade and I was a big like home improvement fan. So I think I was more in the tank for like those kinds of shows and Seinfeld might have been like I think I found it funny, but I a lot of it was probably lost on me at the time. I have to agree that. It was on my house constantly, but I don't think I realized just how funny it was until I was older. But I think when I was watching it, I just watched it because that's what everyone was doing. Yeah. I mean, it was like you heard how many people were watching it by that season finale. It's just like kind of everyone was watching it. So I just jumped on that bandwagon and I was like, yeah, this is funny. But then I didn't really uh, revisit it until actually like a, a few weeks before we started talking about doing this as a podcast. I went back to the show and watched, um, I would catch it on, you know, reruns every once in a while back when, you know, there was TV. But um, other than that, yeah, I didn't really go back to the show and watch it like fully until recently. So Seth, tell us about your sign history. So I'm, I'm trying to place myself chronologically. I think I probably started watching Seinfeld around the time when it started catching on. So when would season four or five have been? So season four was, I think, started in 93. How many seasons did it go for? Nine. Okay, so I wouldn't have caught on until, like, the last couple of seasons. Um, And I know that I started watching it for similar reasons to y'all, that, like, I had heard it was a super popular and smart thing. And that was definitely a period in my life where I was very invested in, like, being, in in becoming smarter. Like, Mm All the time. Um, I was a fucking little know-it-all. But part of that was that I started to kind of seek out TV shows and movies that I had heard were really smart and smart for grown-ups in that kind of very specific way that you hear that in pop culture. Um, But I think by the time that I started getting into Seinfeld, I had already watched Monty Python and I'd started developing specifically my, like, love for comedy. So I think I 
was laughing like with Seinfeld from the start. Um, but then also that was a show that went very quickly into syndication on like TBS, TNT, a lot of different channels. And I had cable the whole time growing up until I moved off to college and even into college for a couple of years. So I started really, really watching Seinfeld in earnest once it was in syndication. And usually when they would show it, they would show two or three episodes at a time. And I kind of immediately, especially once I started watching multiple ones back to back, I so caught on with the style of the sense of humor. And I mean, the biggest thing that I carried with me um, is a thing that ironically, a lot of people who are obviously assholes in this world say about themselves. And what a lot of people say about assholes, especially people like Donald Trump, is that they say what people are afraid to say. Um, what I really love the most about Seinfeld is that that kind of observational comedy um, at its best, when it's really working on that show, is about the things that we notice and that we all experience and go through, but are too embarrassed to say out loud um, or talk about because they're too humiliating. I so. agree, Seth. I think that's why, I mean, let's just get into it, that I think the show is still relevant because everybody still goes through those those things. Everybody's still in awkward situations. Oh yeah, even um, things that seem low stakes, but you get really infuriated <laughs> about them, or you get really excited, or you just have these strong emotions for seemingly small things still. And that's why I feel like the show still, you know, packs a punch. And when you're watching it now, because despite the fact that there's no cell phones or internet really in the show. Like, it's still really relevant. People still have awkward encounters. And, and I was a super-duper awkward kid. It took me a long time to learn how to play the social game in a way where I wouldn't shoot myself in the foot a lot. And a lot of that show, really the experiences of all the characters on that show, is fucking up at the social game and paying the consequences for it. And like that you're saying, true, like, yes. they're, they're <laughs> situations that in real life have incredibly low stakes. But in the sense of the social game, like, you're standing with another person that you have to deal with. Like, those things can be super high stakes. And relationships in your life of, of all kinds of various forms can be uh, made or broken by very, very tiny interactions. And it's about – it's a show largely – in addition to being about nothing, it's also a show about messing up at the social game and the price we pay for that. Yeah, but I think the show, like, acknowledges the fact that, like, even though it's about nothing, is like, it's that these people can kind of afford to, like, have a show about nothing, because there are people who, with real struggles, and these are people who, like, have it pretty well off in it's general. It's kind of like the, it's kind of like First World Problems yeah. is, like, also a very good name for this show. Yeah, oh, exactly. Absolutely. It's or like, white it's for white people that, <laughs> yeah. like, don't have any real trouble, like, paying their rent or anything like that. Like, they have the luxury of having like these little minutiae like being their biggest problems in life. Yeah, I mean, in terms of how it holds up now, um, I think I, I really have discovered new layers in the comedy as far as those kind of relationship foibles go, even like between Jerry and his friends and George and Elaine and Kramer and their friends. Um, but it's given me... Uh, rewatching those episodes in the fullness of having been on this earth for 32 years really drives home how completely relatively well off these folks have it and how it's not really just a show about nothing. It's also a show about privilege. <laughs> well, and it's a show about the 90s because that's kind of what the 90s was for a lot of people, not everyone, obviously, but the 90s was a pretty, compared to other periods, was like a pretty okay time for a lot of people. Like people for had white people. some money. I yeah. mean, it's funny that 
a lot of the show, George keeps losing his job or he's unemployed and he does have to live with his parents, but that's probably as low as it gets mm-hmm. as far as, you know, being able to afford food. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's being, as close yeah. as it gets to any of the characters having a, having an experience with poverty. And yeah, it's really not really... even poverty. Like, I, I don't know if I saw any of the episodes where he does lose his job, but I don't ever remember him missing a meal. Like, no, no, or no, figuratively. No. I mean, it is a sitcom, and they do want to keep it light. So it's more focused on being uncomfortable and awkward rather than actually being, like, struggling. And... Oh, sure. But see, I would also compare it to a show that was kind of contemporaneous at the time, Roseanne, which, and I mean, again, in the fullness of time, the, Roseanne is still an exceptional show in the sense that it talks about white people who are not well off. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and that's and almost ties never their happens again. <laughs> to that. Yeah, no, and it basically never happened again after that show either. Um, but it's just interesting that kind of as ubiquitous as that one side of comedy where white people are still completely universally privileged um, coexisted with a show like Roseanne. Um, But I I, I still think they're on close to, if not equal footing, as far as the caliber of the comedy in it. Um, But I would definitely say that one took a more expansive and somewhat realistic view of human relations, um, especially when it comes to like class. They're kind of opposites is that Roseanne is doing a very taking very unconventional characters, but the show itself is a lot more conventional for most of it, whereas this is taking a very kind of conventional thing of, like, people in New York, like, white people in New York, and doing really, like, experimental things with the comedy. That's smart. I totally I agree with that. I think that those two shows really do fit the comedians that spearheaded those shows because Roseanne's act was all about being a domestic goddess and, you know, talking about her family and being a housewife because she was a housewife while she was a comedian. That was what she did. Um, That was kind of her whole persona and talking about struggling with money and poverty. And Jerry Seinfeld was a pretty popular comedian at the time. And his act was just about little observations. Oh God. And like rewatching it uh, really made the stand-up bits of the structure of that show stand out for me yeah, um, and made me kind of realize, again, like with time, realizing he was ridiculously influential as a stand-up comedian. Like there's a whole generation of stand-ups that came after him who kind of totally aped his style. Um, And of course he drew from other stand-ups like Stephen Wright and, you know, Bill Hicks and like other, and George Carlin, other kind of observational-ish comedians. Um, But it was really funny, like seeing those clips um, and again, realizing just how many people came from that and after that. Yeah, the Hollywood Reporter review that I referenced earlier also had like a reference to the stand-up and like that reviewer was so like confused. He was like, why are we like going back and forth between the comedy club and the like sitcom set? <laughs> My it was brain just, like, hurts. Yeah, I mean that's kind of what it was. It was just like this doesn't work at all, and it's like, but to me, like looking, it doesn't feel strange anymore because we see a lot more shows doing, you know, more experimental things. But that yeah, really I mean, does. Louis set the is scene. like him yeah. doing stand up, and then you see his life. But that's I, I don't understand why it didn't make sense to him at the time because I never thought of it as a show about nothing. It was a show about how a comedian gets his material. So it's very like important that we see his stand up because then it's like he takes us back into his day and how he developed that material for his show that night. That's pretty much what I thought the show was. Yeah, no, totally. And and justify how he's able to do that. Because, you know, that is the work that he makes of all of these foibles and all of this, uh, all the interactions that he collides into every day. 
Yeah, but they almost never show him like being like, oh, I'm going to write that down and now I'm going to the comedy club and now I'm going to perform it. Although sometimes he pitches his jokes to Elaine and then she's like, is this a bit? (laughs) And he's like, Elaine. And she's like, it's not funny. (laughs) So they do sometimes, you know, he talks about doing material and he does have some shows in the episodes where he's like, he has a bad show or there's a heckler. Yeah, yeah. Is there an episode where he goes to an elementary school and signs paper plates and napkins? I think that was just an episode that Becky saw and she it's suddenly thought. It's the episode that... in, my, in my personal history. Oh. oh. <laughs> it was a cut episode of the show. It's called The Becky. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if only. Oh, oh if So I think it would be great if we dived into some, you know, actual episodes. But before we do that, I just want to ask. So now that you've seen it, do you think the show's funny? Yes. I think it's really funny. Um, Another thing, though, kind of a comment on both the humor and how it holds up. I think it is definitely a show that uses non-white people as ornamental decoration uh, rather than ever having them introduced and fleshed out as real characters. Um, And it's definitely a show about characters who treat most of the other people in the world who are not them as ornamental decoration or yeah, it's to not use. just not white, non-white people. It's women, but we're I think we're right. going to get into that a yeah. little bit. Later. But I just want to know: Do you think it's still funny? Like, do you watch episodes Absolutely. and you laugh? Because Absolutely. I will crack up. Still. Oh yeah, I, I laughed out loud at like several different things when I was rewatching yeah. this. Awesome. I laughed my ass off a lot watching this show. So we're in agreement there. The yeah. show in general totally holds up. Seinfeld is funny. Breaking news. You heard it here first. (laughs) (laughs) Extra, extra. You won't get this anywhere else. Exclusive. (laughs) Seinfeld praised. So we took a a look at a bunch of episodes because I think it's really interesting. You know, in general, the show holds up. It's funny, but it's interesting to take a look back and see if certain episodes worked or certain types of issues that they brought up if if it's cringeworthy today or if or spongeworthy or spongeworthy <laughs> cringeworthy um, or spongeworthy so let's talk about the pilot um you know i didn't actually think it was that bad i thought it would be really terrible but i it's not great but you know the waitress character is kind of dumb that was their fill in for a female character before elaine came in in the mm. second episode mm-hmm. she feels like she's out of like a cliche sitcom that just does not work but i thought the rest of it kind of foreshadow what the kind of show it would become yeah it, it had those it had the ideas there it just didn't quite have the execution it feels like they wanted to do the show about nothing so they're like let's go to the laundromat and really have nothing happen yeah. Yeah. they didn't really find a way to make it like that funny like I remember from the laundromat, there's just like some weird like women in the background, like making like sitcom like faces like, isn't this wacky? And it's just like, that's the kind of stuff that would go away is that they were still clinging to some sitcom conventions, I think. And I can understand why it took a while for them to get more episodes. Yeah. Um, Kramer knocks on the door. It's very awkward. Yeah, that that's episode. so yeah. strange. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when Kramer knocked, <laughs> politely Glad knocked on the door. Stick. In retrospect, like I think NBC gets a lot of flack for being like, oh, they almost canceled Seinfeld. But like. Based on that episode, I might have canceled that show, too. I would have been like, eh, let's see what else we got. Like, it's, you can kind of sense, like, there's some good stuff, chemistry with the cast. But, like, it definitely wasn't all there yet. Yeah, and so the second episode I took a look out, it's called The Stakeout. It aired almost a year um, after the pilot aired, which was at the time called The Seinfeld Chronicles. 
Um, and I thought it was even closer to what we think of when we think of Seinfeld nowadays. And the the name Art Vandelay, the architect, actually <laughs> makes an appearance in the second episode of the wow. show, what? which I think is amazing oh because they're trying to stake out um, a woman that Jerry is interested in. Like he knows where she works. And so they're just waiting for her and they're going to be like, oh, I just happened to run into you here. Um, and George is like, I want to be Art Vandelay, the architect, because he wants to be somebody. Um, and so... I just thought it was amazing that that actually like was repeated throughout the show and actually stuck. So is that a real person? Yeah. Do you know where that name came from? Oh, I don't. Uh, I don't think it's a real person. Was it someone in your second grade class? <laughs> That's his nephew, Art Vandelay. <laughs> I don't know him, but I have a signed plate from him. <laughs> he signed a Dixie cup of mine once. <laughs> And, uh, and Elaine t- uh, makes her first appearance in the second episode, and she's honestly on point from the beginning. Like I she, mean, she is Elaine right at the start. Julia Louis Dreyfus might be a very talented actress. I'm gonna go just throw that out there and see if anyone Again, agrees. Again, controversial, me. really, really hot takes here on the When We Were Young podcast. <laughs> oh my God! How, <laughs> Julia did, you, Louis how Dreyfus. did you say she's a great actress? Funny. I would say she's an amazing actress. Oh, I really undersold her. Yeah, I, I didn't Seriously, watch the second episode again, but that... For, for an heiress who literally never had to work a day in her life, I am sincerely glad that Julia Louis-Dreyfus chose to pursue comedic acting. Because um, between this show and Veep, I'm hard-pressed to think of really any comedian uh, of any gender expression whatsoever uh, who's had a longer and more consistently excellently funny career in comedy. Like, consistently. Mm-hmm. She never had a bun season on Seinfeld. She's never had a bun season on Veep. Like, Even before Veep, she was on Arrested Development for a few episodes. She and was she awesome was, on Arrested she, Development. She won an Emmy for the old, uh, the New Adventures of Old Christine. Yeah. Right. That was a good show. Right. And was she was, show. yeah, and she was great on shows that weren't so great. She was great on shows that were pretty good but got canceled too early. Uh, and she's been part of two of the biggest kind of institutions of comedy. Add another one to the list. She was one of the youngest uh, cast members of Saturday Night Live before Seinfeld. Oh, wow. Hmm. The more you know. The more you know. Um, so that was the pilot. So let's talk about let's talk about the contest. The contest, I think everyone God. has seen it. Everyone knows it. Um, it's shown in schools. It's shown in schools to talk about masturbation. It's definitely not shown in schools. Um, it is still <laughs> as funny as ever. Not your school? Um, I didn't. I didn't go to Seinfeld High like Becky did. <laughs> it was an elementary school. Heinfeld. <laughs> We're talking about the contest, guys. It's still funny. Do you agree? Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's... I watched it today, and I fucking lost my shit. I could not stop laughing. The part where G- George's mom, who makes her first appearance in the contest... Oh, really? That's her first. Her first appearance is no. in the contest, is... in that hospital bed, and when those oh, women God. behind make the shadows <laughs> of, like, time for your sponge bath... Sponge bath. It was, it's so funny. It is laugh out loud funny. I totally lost it. And it's such stupid, simple humor of like shadow puppet comedy (laughs) going on in the background. But it's so funny. And the the setup of the contest between them, I love so much. I mean, it's perfect sitcom writing. Like it almost feels like cliche in a way because it's done so well in that episode. But you have to remember that that was back in the 90s when like things weren't written that well back. I mean, I'm not saying that things weren't, written well but things like just the craft of sitcoms i think has evolved so much and people have more you know time it's less about like a weekly chore to write these things and like it just like feels so 
well-crafted. Like, you can... I think one of the best things about that episode is the fact that they had standards and practices that they couldn't say the word masturbation, so they had to think of synonyms and create their own language. And gestures. And what they really... <laughs> Yeah, they, they didn't even come up with an, another term for masturbation, but to not masturbate. Right. Which is being the master of your domain. The master of your which, domain. Which is amazing, and it's still in the lexicon. Queen if you of the say castle. that, people know what you're talking about. Lord of the manor. But it, it also doesn't feel like they're dancing around it. Like, it feels completely organic to what those characters are saying. Like, you never are being like, oh, this is because it's on NBC and they're not saying the word. Like, it, it really feels like this is how these characters would talk. And also to your to your point about to Chris's point about the way that the show was very uh, technically innovative in a storytelling fashion, uh, one of the funniest jokes for me were the cutaway scenes of each of the characters in bed. Yes, and Kramer, of course, is the first to break this I'm contest <laughs> to not masturbate. And they cut to each of the main characters in bed that night, and Kramer is the only one who's able to sleep. And I just love that because it's a completely dialogue-free scene that is full of punchlines. Like, every single cut is a punchline. And George has his hands above the covers. (laughs) Oh, I didn't didn't notice that. (laughs) I didn't notice that. Yeah, That's I mean, great. including Elaine in that is, I think, the most daring part of the episode because it could have yes. easily been like you the boys' what? club, and she's like, yes. "Ew, that's gross." So I actually mm-hmm. think that was a progressive thing about this is For that sure. it was a like a naughty sex thing, and the woman was not just part of it; she was like one of the biggest, uh, one of the biggest enablers and motivators of the contest. Now, I um I recently read a book called Seinfeldia, um, by what is that about? Jennifer Cation Cation Armstrong. Um, and she had all these little tidbits about episodes, and they actually weren't going to involve Elaine in the contest at first. And this was in the writer's room, them talking about, well, she wouldn't be in the contest for all these reasons, and she doesn't have to. They were basically having the conversation. I wonder if that was male writers saying that. <laughs> uh-huh. Yes, well, God, it was. <laughs> <laughs> well, there were, there were a couple female writers on staff, like Carol Liefer, um, but they basically had the, the the small conversation that's in the show that's like, you can't, you're like, you don't need to do this. Like, they're basically saying, like, why Elaine shouldn't be in this contest. Ladies then, don't touch themselves. <laughs> of course not. I mean, that was a pretty daring statement in, I think, 93 or 4, whenever that show aired. It was. Yeah. 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 And so they so they just put their conversation in the writer's room into the show, and they just had it, like, what is it? Like, she she puts in 150 instead of 100. Yeah, yeah. So, Seems yeah. Seems fair. Seems fair. I think that is a good, like, lead into the other episode that kind of reminds me of that is the outing which is the uh, gay episode or the episode where a journalist thinks that George and Jerry are lovers. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Exactly. So that another like behind the scenes thing is that line was something that was added like late in the game because they needed NBC was worried about that episode being offensive and that line just came out of one of the writer's mouths and then it became like the catchphrase <laughs> like maybe one of the top three catchphrases of and the show. And people know what you're talking about. Yeah. And it works perfectly in that episode. Well, and that for me brings up The Beard, uh, which was another episode I rewatched. Um, and it was funny because it was kind of Elaine in the position of wanting to try to, or pretending to try to switch a gay guy to being straight. And she does for a little bit. <laughs> for a second. For a second. For a hot second. <laughs> Yeah, what did you think about that episode? Think that there were any sort of things that are maybe would be treated differently now in terms of like sexual orientation or did it hold up like pretty I well? I think nowadays people don't think that 
I think it's more likely people don't think it's a choice like they kind of did back in the day when there's less um, less representation of gay people on TV mm-hmm. um, and just in their lives, like there are less people out. Um, so I think nowadays Elaine probably wouldn't even try. She would just be like, oh, he's gay. She would probably have a lot of gay friends. She would probably have a oh, lot yeah. of gay friends. Yeah, let's be honest. And she wouldn't try. <laughs> She'd just be like, oh, too bad he's gay. But I think back in the 90s, she she thought it might actually work. And it didn't seem to work for a second, but not really. Well, yeah. see, now I think the smarter version of that would be to have him be bisexual and just not be into her. You know, or something like that. Like, there would be a more intelligent way to approach that comedy Mm -hmm. now that comes from, you know, uh, us having a broader cultural perspective on queerness. Um, But also, it's like, in another sense, I also totally agree with both of you because I think because of political correctness, um, they probably wouldn't even have attempted a storyline like that now. Whereas, really, with those characters being who they are and being as relatively narcissistic and selfish as they are, they would just as likely believe themselves eminently capable mm-hmm. of actually being able to, you know, be a transformer right. totally. for someone. I just don't think they would, like, the uh, NBC heads would not let that episode Oh, yeah, no, exactly. Today. They wouldn't. No, they wouldn't at all. And and again, like, it's, it's funny because now that we mentioned that, like, I don't think... I'm not sure of another sitcom that would be talking about uh, female masturbation on, like, a primetime weeknight sitcom. I mean, maybe, yeah, well, I mean, like, Girls or something on cable. Yeah, sure. Sex um, in the City, sure, totally. but, yeah. yeah, not, I don't yeah, think not there's anything NBC. on network <laughs> TV even now. Not, that... There isn't an episode of Kevin Can Wait. Kevin Can Wait while <laughs> she touches herself, like, in the bed. Yeah. That's what Kevin Can she Wait She takes for. an hour to get ready every night. <laughs> and that's very similar to The Outing, which is, you know, to compare it to Friends, an episode that had a lot of gay panic in it, um, the yeah, the outing is was very rooted in character, and that not that there's anything wrong with that line. Like comes from the characters is that they're so right. narcissistic, and but they're never like, oh my god, like people think we're gay, like that's so horrible. Like it's there's like no they disgust. They have nothing against gay people, but they know that people in general are against gay people, so that's why they are kind of worried that people will think they're gay, even though they they don't have a problem with it. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. it's like it's because well, George is worried because it's his mom and his mom freaks out and that. But that's totally from character because his mom is this overbearing Jewish mother who would of course freak out about something like that. It's not just yeah. you know like oh my god like people think we're gay and then they just drop it like something like Friends does. And they also and the writers never have the characters indulge in the kind of overt like gay panic or paranoia about it that would definitely have been part of any other part of the cultural landscape mm-hmm. then. Yeah, like that even episode, in the 90s, that she was so common. The journalist could have, like, accused him of anything, and I think the episode would have played out the same way. Is that It just happened to be that, you know, she thought they were gay. But it could have been that, oh, they think that we're, I don't know, we both like bananas. We don't like bananas. They could have freaked out. I mean, that's a weird metaphor to use for <laughs> homosexuality. <laughs> I tried to pick something randomly. but Discover the bananas. Yes. One of the episodes I'd love to talk about, another famous one, is the Soup Nazi um, I am a. I love this episode so much. I just. I'm wondering about your opinions on it, and I've got um, a couple of fun facts to share. Fun facts about the Nazis. Sign facts. <laughs> but uh, but do you guys think it's funny? How did, how do you feel about it now? Yeah, I mean, the show is obviously like it deals with a lot of like specifically Jewish things that I didn't notice, you know, when I was a kid because I didn't get a lot of these things, and that episode is one that specifically like calls out. Is there something Jewish about Jews. soup? 
Uh, no, actually, now that I think about it, I can't think of anything about the soup Nazi that would relate to Jewish people. <laughs> oh, yeah, the Nazi part. The Nazi part. <laughs> no, I mean, if you're... The soup Nazi. The soup community is very offended by this portrayal of Nazis. <laughs> I mean, it's very funny. It's, it, they act like they're in a concentration camp when they're going up to the soup Nazi, and they're That's as true. afraid of this Nazi as they would be of a real Nazi in a comedic way. It's It's a very, like even though it doesn't on its surface seem that edgy is like that underlying subtext, which is never really called out in the show is pretty edgy. Like it's, it's basically Holocaust humor. <laughs> Coined. Yeah. No, I, I, I loved the soup Nazi when it came out. And again, it's one of those episodes like the puffy shirt um, that's become just kind of shorthand in the pop culture vernacular. Um, but rewatching it, I think it still totally held up. So I've got a few sign facts about the soup Nazi. Sign facts. You're saying sign facts. <laughs> Nazi sign facts. So the soup Nazi's first appearance in pop culture wasn't Seinfeld. It was actually what, what, what? it was actually in Sleepless Dear in John? Seattle. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it was in the movie Sleepless <laughs> in Seattle. Meg Ryan's journalist character wants what? to write a profile on this mean guy in New York who makes the best soup ever. Oh it's like a, it's a throwaway line, but they're talking about. I'm sorry. Did you say soupless in Seattle? <laughs> <laughs> it's a throwaway line about the character that inspired the soup Nazi. His name is Al Yegene. Oh, God. Sorry. I'm Weird sorry, Al. Yegene. Shouldn't have even tried that. Yegene. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. You're going to get it wrong. Um, he is a soup vendor who runs Soup Kitchen International in New York City. Um, he's stated on numerous occasions that he is very offended by the soup Nazi moniker. <laughs> Personally, I get it. You don't want to be called a Nazi, but there's so much publicity that he got from Seinfeld that it's so funny how angry he still is at the show. <laughs> Again, definitely not true to character or anything. <laughs> right, exactly. I guess that I guess that's, you know, just proves how well the show wrote it. pissed off by something. <laughs> what a stretch, buddy. So yeah, he, I heard Nazis also didn't particularly like being held accountable for their crimes. <laughs> they make good soup, though. Um, so um, I'm just going to call him Al. That. I'm just going to call him Al. So uh, Al actually Al. changed his business from Soup Kitchen International to the original Soup Man. So he's still <laughs> refer referencing his business in regards to the show yeah. that he is yeah. on multiple times criticized for. I'm the Soup German. I would really like it if he had gone from like being the Soup Nazi to being like, I'm going to create the Soup Plantation because there's nothing... <laughs> controversial about that. Which is going bankrupt now. Aww. Well, maybe don't name your soup restaurant after a... Something horrible? Yes, an atrocity. There's actually another soup company that came after the show called Soup Nutsy. Oh. Um, and I'm just like, why didn't that... Why didn't Al, the, the original Soup Nazi, why didn't he just call his... He should have just embraced it. And somebody who did embrace uh, the Soup Nazi role was Larry Thomas, the actor who played him. Um, he's actually played him a few times. Um, not just on the show, he was in, what? obviously, the Soup Nazi episode and then the finale. Um, but he has um, played the role uh, when... Bar mitzvahs. <laughs> You've got I mail. wish. <laughs> Brisses. I wish. Um, he um, He's made in-person appearances at fan conventions as the character. He's also used his celebrity to promote soup kitchens for the homeless. Wow. So he's a really great guy. He's really embraced this role. And he was, you know, a stage actor. And he, you know, he... Played a variety of roles before this, but he's like, you know what? This is what made me famous, and I'm gonna embrace it. And people like me, um, even though I play a soup Nazi. People look at me and they smile and they laugh. So I'm gonna, you know, think of it as a good thing. Um, he based his performance on Omar Sharif from Lawrence of Arabia. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I could definitely see that. That's phenomenal. He looks like him. 
So that's the soup Nazi. It still holds up. Um, a few other... Let's talk about race in Seinfeld. So we kind of touched on it being like white people problems. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple of episodes that specifically deal with race. Um, the Chinese woman, where a lot of people think that this woman, when they hear her voice, that she's Chinese because her name is Donna Chang. But when they meet her, they're surprised that she's just a white woman. It's a white blonde lady. So what did you guys think of this episode? Um, so the one thing that I think really sticks out is the... Um, L's and R's that uh, she mispronounces. Yeah, that was a little weird. (laughs) The rest of the episode does not bother me in any way because I think because she's a white woman and, you know, like that's what the joke is. It's not that they're making fun of an actual Chinese woman. It's it's kind of making fun of the way that white people sort of like look to Chinese people as like, oh, we got a fortune cookie or, oh, we're going to quote Confucius. Like... That's kind of the joke of the show is that people like sort of right, deify Chinese people in a way anyways. They're the characters are the punchline of the joke. It's yeah. not Chinese people. That said, like, I don't think, again, like political correctness wise, I don't think that would ever be a plot line of an episode. Oh, I, I mean, don't know about that. There's a lot of bad well, Asian no, that's stuff true. that is still Oh, that's also true. Two no, girls, that's also there's true. bad Asian stereotypes. But the, pro- no, that's the totally thing true. today is there's stereotypes, but this didn't stereotype it showed that people stereotype chinese people no, yeah totally. i honestly think that this uh, no, this I, episode might have its problems but i think it's more progressive than a lot of stuff that's coming out now about well asian it, people i think that's probably totally right but i also think that technically this should not have been the a story of this episode that should have been like a c story or like a like a, a kind of gag or a callback that could happen maybe once or twice. I just thought it was like way too thin of a strand to hook an entire episode to. Um, Yeah. I I don't think I saw this episode on the original run. I just rewatched it or I just watched it for the first time for, for this episode, but I really wasn't taken by it at all, especially like compared to some of these other episodes. Another episode that um, is racially charged is the Puerto Rican day parade. It's the second to last episode of the show. Um, a lot of people thought it was racist because Kramer accidentally lights the Puerto Rican flag on fire and stomps <laughs> it out. Um, this was actually protested. And wow. during the finale, Puerto Rican organizations uh, were protesting the show and calling Seinfeld racist because of this episode and because of that particular moment in the show. Um, while I was watching it again, I was I just I guess I get it where you see an, your your image, like your flag being stomped and it and it. You know, it's triggering and it and it's offensive, but I don't think they were looking at the show, which was that he was doing it accidentally and then he was being called out as a racist, even though he didn't mean to do that thing. Also, Puerto Ricans aren't a race. Also, flags do not represent races. They do to people. Well, if anything, what that goes to is that flags mean whatever individual people actually think flags mean. Flags have no inherent symbolism other than what's made of it you know like it can stand for a nation but beyond representing a nation that's you projecting some kind of meaning and that's exactly it it, yeah is that people are projecting it and saying you are against puerto ricans because kramer accidentally lit it on fire and that's where the comedy was supposed to be that people were offended in the show and but then they got offended outside the show for just seeing that image at all yeah that was one episode where i watched it again and i didn't find anything really that problematic in it yeah it was i mean i don't really take like if you're a certain nationality or race and you're offended by something like i don't really feel like it's my place to say like oh you shouldn't be offended by that but like 
In my eyes, yeah. I didn't see anything in that episode that was particularly problematic. I tried thinking of it as though, like, okay, what if he was stomping a pride flag? Or what if he was stomping a, a flag with the Star of David? And I, and then people, Jews got offended, or gay people would get offended in the show. And I'm just like, I don't... Yeah, I, still, I definitely wouldn't be... I still don't yeah. see it. So, sorry, I'm a, Puerto Ricans who I, I'm protested against, the show. I, I'm a lefty radical, and I'm literally against all flags. And I think they should all be destroyed, along with all but national borders. But I bought you this flag that has your face on it. For well, those at home, Seth is burning a flag as we speak in the studio. <laughs> He's burning the earth flag. I brought a lighter. <laughs> all flags. <laughs> but uh, one more note on the Puerto Rican day that has nothing to do with race is that I loved the appearance of the laser pointer. <laughs> I, I just hated like, it. I, I just hated loved, it. like, because that was such a moment in the 90s when, it like, really everyone was. was, like, obsessed with those things. And they were, like... Pogs and laser pointers. thought it was so funny. And I was just, like, like, I, I feel like I was, like... George, when those came out, I was like, that's stupid. And everyone around me is like, oh, ha, ha. Like, Were they really? Pointer. Because when I was watching that episode, I actually think this is the worst episode of Seinfeld. Like, I think it's the least really? funny, besides uh, the finale, which I we can get good. to. I, liked I hated this episode because I just didn't think it was funny. And part of why I didn't, I didn't think, think it was funny, funny was that I don't think laser pointers were ever seen as funny, and especially the women in the movie theater next to George who were like, oh, look at that laser pointer. How funny. That guy's funny. And I was like, you paid for that movie ticket. That was the thing no one <laughs> had ever laugh? said in real life. Maybe That's... if you're a fourth grader people and you're like... laser pointers. No, I'm not saying people did Chris, not deploy them in all kinds of public spaces. who watched like a reel in class <laughs> My dad class had lights. one and he thought it was hilarious to like shine it out the window into the neighbor's like house and okay, like, well, make everyone be like oh what's that and so like people definitely did that and I think that yeah the show's making fun of like how stupid that is but like again it's like the joke is on the characters because they're like this is stupid but everyone else is well we finally disagree about Seinfeld because I just hated that episode and not because it was racist oh so you think Seinfeld's a terrible show <laughs> Teach the <laughs> well, let's talk about the finale um, because it, I, do we have to? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's besides the Puerto Rican Day Parade. I mean, that's a terrible one-two punch for me. Is that I just think it's awful, and I saw it and was disappointed at the time. I remember being disappointed. Um, I think it was in tenth grade. I think that's about the time it was. Um, so I was old enough to actually have a valid opinion. <laughs> right, right. Um, and I rewatched it, and I still think it's terrible. I think the pacing is off. I just think it's not funny, and I wish that they just ended it with a funny episode, without this. You yeah, know. I think this show took a similar trajectory in my eyes to like the American version of The Office, where even if you charitably give it four or five good seasons, it started to kind of precipitously decline. Uh, and then kept going for a while. Um, it's not quite as bad as like an X Files, where the later seasons and the series finale like desecrate the grave that the show had already been buried in. Well, they also didn't like recast everyone for like three seasons. Yeah, that too. There wasn't like a, a dog it. Yeah. <laughs> and Agent Mystic Pizza uh, <laughs> to, to ruin all the good memories I have of Elaine and George and Kramer and Jerry. Um, but yeah, I definitely think it had already well overstayed its welcome by the time it ended. I think it was getting there, yeah. I don't think it had quite, you know, lost all of its hilarity, but those last two episodes were really tough And also, for me. it's like, it's even the whole structure of the finale episode is a fucking clip show. And I mean, come on. Like, it's, I Which feel was, like, there was actually a clip show, like, right before that, too. It was, yeah. Yeah, like, it's, it's such, I feel like that's always a sign of kind of disrespect or laziness. A sign? A sign? A, it is. A Seinfeld sign? It is. Sign facts. <laughs> Chris, what did, what did you think of the finale? Um, I don't think I hate it as much as you guys do, 
even though I don't think like disagreement. Not, <laughs> it's definitely not that funny of a show, like compared to a lot of the episodes. Like it's not a show that you're gonna laugh out loud at. It's more like, look at all these great things we did. Remember this? That was funny. Like Bubble Boy, that was funny. It's like the fucking end of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> is there a, is there a clip show? Yeah, the there are like the thirty wrap up montages. It is kind of like that. Um, Do you remember that time we got soup in the Shire? <laughs> But I did like it for like kind of what it wrought. I think because I think it was one. Of, it was one of the first finales that was like such a big deal that like everyone was talking about. Because a lot of shows would just kind of end and it wouldn't be that big of a deal, or they you know they do something kind of quietly. And this was the show. It was on magazine covers. Like everyone was like, "How's it going to end?" And it was this really big phenomenon. And that's like the thing I remember most about. They played it in about. Times Square. They played it outdoors in a lot of cities and then hundreds of people would come together and watch it on like wow. a giant And then like screen. a meteor hit because like that's the scene that's always in like <laughs> It was our 9-11 before 9-11. Oh, well, I, yeah, thematically. Yeah. I mean, what I remember <laughs> the most of Seinfeld is how it ended and just watching Never forget. that that episode and just the media frenzy around it. And so I think it really like brought on this culture of like now pretty much every show that ends like has to have like some kind of splashy like and it's it's everyone kind of speculates, oh, how's it going to end? How's it going to end? Like Sopranos and Lost, you know, shows like that, like really had this big like culture around how they're going to end. And I think Seinfeld was, if not the very first one of those, like definitely like kind of like the spearhead of all that. Um, I also noticed that the that episode is like somehow like seems much more 90s than most of the rest of the show just like there's like call waiting there's like all this like drama about cell phones like Geraldo's in it like it all this like 90s stuff just like bubbled up in that episode beepers I was just like yeah it's weird they like made every choice to be to like date themselves at the very end which of they it. didn't normally get... do no the they show. don't that that was actually one thing that in retrospect kind of surprised me is that even the stuff like puffy shirt that just has no kind of broader cultural mooring now in in what our like tastes and preferences are in culture um but they still didn't seem dated to me like that like the finale did yeah and that episode also kind of feels just like it really cements the evolution of the show because the show started off being about like pretty, like it, it wasn't about horrible people when the show started. It was about just sort of like everyday things and they were a little bit selfish and like that would go on. And I feel like you see that evolving over the show. Because like, they're the people that would say what you won't say. So that's why they seem terrible because they actually say these things. Yeah, but that definitely like I think that was a lot more clear in, like, the last season. Even the Puerto Rican Day Parade, I think, was another episode that was, like, these people are, like, pretty horrible. And, like, they really nailed that to them in the end of um, the finale. But I don't know. I Like, I don't think the show necessarily started off. It, it started off, you know, trying to be about nothing and just about everyday things. And that morphed itself into the show about narcissism and people just being, like, kind of their worst selves. And... And it, it's weird that the show ended up punishing them for that when, like, the whole rest of the show, like, they were never really punished that much. They were sort of punished in little ways, but never in a long-term way. And especially Jerry. Like, Jerry was always, you know, got off scot-free, basically, with everything. And was just like, la-da-la. Like, uh, you know, always or had a hot was girl. rewarded for it. With yeah, a really exactly. super awesome comedy career, yeah. And so it is interesting that they felt that they had to, like, kind of make a judgment on these characters in the end when... You know, maybe the show would have been better if they had just never really made that judgment and never felt that they needed to. But you could kind of sense that coming, I think, in some of the... Maybe the whole last season, but just this sort of, like, dark cloud that kind of, like, formed over these characters. Whereas before, it was just sort of... 
you know, it, it was uh, there's no kind of uncommented. justice coming yeah. for them. The I, rest of the I think a turning point for um, just how bad the characters became was the invitations, which was the finale for season seven. Um, that whole that whole season, George was engaged to Susan, his fiance. Um, he wanted to get out of it. And the way he got out of it was she died <laughs> by licking uh, invitations that had uh, toxic glue. Um, this was a turning point for the show. I remember even at the time, people thought that the show went too far. The fact that um, the four main characters, particularly George, kind of felt nothing when it happened and they just kind of got over it. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I could see that, but I just think it's so funny that I don't care. And I guess it does make them a little worse than they were before, but it's just so funny. And it was, it, I think it's just so groundbreaking at the time that they just killed off a character like that. And that the, and one of the mantras of Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld making a show was no hugging, no learning. And I think that holds true in that episode. Yeah. I mean, I watched it, I think it was last night and it does feel a little bit like maybe like one step too far to me just because like these characters went so unfeeling, especially for a lot of the show. And that was just like there there was really like no time for remorse in the show. In <laughs> fact, like the um the tag after the episode is like George calling Marissa Tomei and being like, Oh, I have to go to the funeral, but I'm free afterwards and her hanging up on him. And it's just like, okay, like that that is funny. Like we're all laughing at it right now. But like eh, like it does it really I think it cements the the show in this like idea that these people are horrible that Season three or four were about, like, the show about nothing, sort of everyday things, and being a little bit narcissistic, but not necessarily being, like, sadistic or sociopathic. But, yeah, it just it just marks the evolution of the show. And that maybe, like, mirrors, like, the fact that these people were all getting a lot richer and a lot more famous, and that, you know, they just felt that, like, it was almost like sort of a mea culpa, like, oh, we need to, like explore like some of the dark side of this because we may might feel a little guilty about how well we're all doing i don't know i mean that's just some conjecture but well and then it's also like the actors on the show legitimately hated the actress who was playing susan so they were wanting an elegant simple way to get her off of the series yeah they personally liked her but they just didn't like acting with her for whatever reason and they were they had a Larry, she knows why <laughs> Larry David and the the foursome had, were having lunch and they were all complaining about working with her um and then Louis Julie Louis Dreyfus was like I just want to kill her and Larry David was like great <laughs> let's do that she did have a very different energy than but I mean I don't think she was ever supposed to be a very likable character like you were always supposed to be a little annoyed by her I think as George was like she's not a bad person but she's just not someone she was kind of an icy person so she's not mm-hmm. someone that you're like feel a lot of like endearing feelings toward a little bit of sign facts about this episode is, is that there was a lot of backlash people wrote into publications like tv guide complaining about the tastelessness of the characters reactions to susan's death and the episode was temporarily pulled from syndication in the wake of the 2001 anthrax attacks wow mm. wow so tell me more guys what are your personal favorite episodes oh. that we did not cover Certainly have a few of them. My early favorite one is the pony remark, just because, like, I think Jerry's monologue about who thinks an immigrant's going to have a pony is just hilarious. Mm-hmm. And it, it, I think that's the first episode that kind of showed what the show was going to become. Um, the airplane episode, I think, is, like, really perfect comedy writing. Just, like, it's really interesting that they have Jerry. Like, everything in his storyline goes perfectly. Like, he's eating Sundays. He's, like, 
you know, not having sex with, but like literally like sleeping with the supermodel. And Elaine is stuck in coach having like the most miserable experience. And Jerry's storyline would never work like on its own, but it's the contrast with Elaine's that makes it work so well. And it was kind of ripped off a little bit in Bridesmaids. I have to tell you, every single time I'm like treating myself with my husband, I go, more of anything, more of everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. Although I will say one thing about that episode is that it kind of displays the thing that I think works the least in Seinfeld over its run is that like when it tried to mix in like weirdly dark things, like that episode has like a- A mass killer. murderer, yeah. a serial killer. Like attacking George on the plane. And there's like the LA episodes where they go to LA, like it has this weird like murder of like this girl that Kramer like meets. And it's just like, whenever the show goes to like that ter- territory, I feel like it's just kind of off tone and doesn't it doesn't quite nail like that darkness. So yeah. That's the one thing that I find, like, off in some of those episodes. Yeah, um, aside from, like, the puffy shirt, I love Soup Nazi. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love uh, The Doorman, uh, which is the episode where Jerry Stiller invents the bro. Or wait, is it Kramer? The man's ear. It's George's Kramer dad. and George's dad, uh, played man's by ear. Jerry Stiller. Come on, I thought it was Who your in- favorite. Well, it's, it's and, and they invent a, a support garment for men. Uh, and I related to that a lot when it originally came out <laughs> because in my adolescence, I, I had a nice little spice rack going. But that was one of the first episodes of Seinfeld I ever saw. Do you prefer the bro it. or the man's ear? Definitely the man's ear. Like, it sounds like both an African dignitary <laughs> and a <laughs> very, very supportive and majestic male accessory. I have to also shout out to like maybe my very favorite episode just because it's like about movies is The English Patient because (laughs) like that's one of the first episodes I can remember seeing and just that like image of like Elaine like so bored during the movie even though I happen to like The English Patient just like cracks me up and the fact that she like had to go to the movie a second time just because she wouldn't admit that she didn't like the movie to her boss that just cracks me up every time and um one more is just the Merv Griffin show, just because... And that um, was a season nine. That was a later one. Yeah. And just because it kind of highlights the self-referential aspect of Seinfeld that was a part of it from pretty early on. It's really evident in season four when they're pitching their own show about nothing. And, you know, uh, the finale ends up, you know, they end up actually, like, going to L.A. to, like, make the show. And just, like, that's a really important aspect that was also very influential of Seinfeld, I think. Well, my favorite episodes, um, I love the ones that take place in one location, like the Chinese restaurant and the parking garage. But if I if I want you to watch one episode, I would have and to say does. the marine biologist is my mm, favorite. I watched that last night too. And yeah. that is when George, uh, for some reason, Jerry tells a, a girl from high school that went to high school, uh, him and George, that George is now a marine biologist. <laughs> And she's interested in George, and now he has to be a marine biologist. And his monologue at the end, after he saves a dying whale, (laughs) um, is probably the funniest monologue I've ever seen in anything. And the studio audience felt the same way in all of these, you know, interviews I've read with the crew and cast that they say the studio audience has never laughed more than at that monologue, which was an add-on. Um, It was written very late. I think it was written on set during the production of that episode. And they went to Jason Alexander and said, how quick can you memorize a monologue? (laughs) And that was the, the, what you see on TV is the only take. 
Wow. And that is the one take. And you can kind of, if you look at Jerry and Kramer in that episode, they're just in awe of him being able to have memorized something so quickly and nail it in one take. And it is just incredible. Jason Alexander, again, like another, we haven't shouted him out enough, I no. think. But he's, Do you know he he's really a Tony winner? He, but he is not totally an Emmy winner so. for this show. He's not the only, well, Jerry didn't get one either, but uh, Michael Richards won three for the show. Jesus. And Jason Alexander like got shut out by him basically every time. Didn't Julia Louise Dreyfus win? She won at least once. I, I think it was just once. But and also about the marine biologist is just that like you can hear Larry David's voice. He's the one that like, is anyone here a marine biologist? And like, at the time of the show, no one knew who Larry David was. So like he could because he did so many voiceovers for the show. You can hear him like shouting out like random things in so many episodes. So many episodes. But Besides being like, George Steinbrenner. Yeah. Yeah. He's but also now, the man with the cape that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That George's dad is seen with a man with a cape. And like no one would have like known it at the time, but now we all know who Larry David is because of Curb Your Enthusiasm. So it's just funny that he's popping up. I've got just a few bits of trivia because it's just too funny. And I learned it all from the Seinfeldia book, which you should check out if you're a fan of the show, which you should be. Um, so the Little Kicks episode, that's the episode where Elena's dancing. Another of my favorites. Would you take a guess at those Little Kicks are based on a real person's style of dance? Can you? Would you like to take a guess? Um, Is it impossible to guess? <laughs> Britney Spears, no. That- Michael Flatley. So Elaine's dancing is inspired by a very famous person. The writer of that episode previously worked for SNL as Lorne Michaels' assistant. He saw him dancing like that at an after party, and his awful dancing made him see this intimidating figure in a new light, and he didn't seem so intimidating anymore. That's so beautiful. So then he went to Seinfeld, told the story, and they made the episode called The Little Kicks. He personally taught Julia Louise Dreyfus how to dance like Lorne Michaels. (laughs) That's That's amazing. And so another uh, little bit of Seinfacts. Uh, Kramer's first name, we all know it's Cosmo, but it was actually supposed to be Conrad. It was going to be revealed as Conrad in an episode that got scrapped. It's the one episode that they wrote and they actually had a table read, but they didn't air it because it was where Elaine buys a gun for self-defense. And after they did the table read, the the cast was just like, we don't think this is funny and there's no way to make guns funny. So they scrapped it. And so because of that, his, his name is not Conrad, it is Cosmo. Um, and I just can't get over this, so I'm, I have to share it. So John o- John O'Hurley plays Jay Peterman, mm-hmm. uh, one of my favorite, you know, supporting characters in the show. He became close with the real Jay Peterman. Um, <laughs> and so the Jay Peterman company saw a rise in public interest after the character was introduced on Seinfeld. They hit a sales peak of $75 million and they opened retail locations across oh the country. Um, they even sold a $198 replica of the necklace in Titanic. <laughs> What? I know. They like went all out. They were like, you know, we're on Seinfeld. Our company's going to go huge. So then they had to file for Chapter 11 <laughs> because oh the exposure God. didn't last, you know, very long. Uh, the profit bubble Sounds didn't. like Peterman shot his wad too early. Yeah. So Jay Peterman sold the company, but that company went bankrupt a year later. He had the chance to buy back his company, but he didn't have the money. So he went to John O'Hurley and asked him to be an investor. And John O'Hurley agreed. And now the Jay Peterman catalog is back because of the character that played Jay Peterman on Seinfeld. That's pretty amazing. It's amazing. That's pretty amazing. So thanks, John O'Hurley. I guess that's the least you could do. To the person that you're playing a version of. <laughs> Man, the moral of this story is get in with the bit actors from Seinfeld because they all have tremendously fulfilling lives yeah, based on this series. They really do. <laughs> so I have one question for you guys. Who is the MVP of the show? Elaine, I, uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, like without question for me. 
as we were saying, like Kramer won all the awards, Michael Richards won all the awards, but I think between Jason Alexander and Julia Louise Dreyfus, like George and Elaine, they are the actual comedy killers on that show. Oh, for sure. Like every time there's a line that that cracks me up, it's one of them. Yeah, I'm not a big Kramer fan. Like most of his storylines kind of leave me cold. There's very few that I actually like really love. But yeah, like I'm always like the most into Elaine's story. And then yeah, I think Jason Alexander also just like those are the two that are always like in character. They never feel like they're caricatures. Like Jerry is obviously not the greatest actor and kind of like things just kind of bounce off of him. And then like to the other extreme is like Michael Richards often feels like he's trying so hard to make you laugh that like that just kind of that kind of comedy turns me off. It turns me off in Jim Carrey when he's being really over the top, too. So it's just it's not. For me, but yeah, well, and I think it's ironic that those were the kind that was the kind of comedy that hit the hardest in the nineties, yeah. and really, it does not age super well. As broad as that kind of comedy is, I'm gonna go George. George is my favorite. Yeah. I mean, I honestly yeah. have love for all of them, including Jerry. I think has some great moments. Yeah, oh, he does um, too. Yeah. As a straight man, he's but really good. George, mm-hmm. just anytime he op- Jason Alexander opens his mouth, I'm laughing. And also, his kind of physical comedy is a lot more subtle than what Kramer was doing. You know, and that, that like, George's character is such a ball of wires and frayed nerves. Like, and it's so, it just ripples through every other part of that ensemble. Well, he is the heart of the show. Because you yeah. can tell that he's the surrogate for Larry David. And you, um, even yeah. though, like, Jerry's technically the star of the show, you can really, I think the show is driven by George, like, in pretty much every way. Mm-hmm. All right, so now we're going into our playtime section. Uh, I have a few questions. Uh, Becky considers herself a Seinfeld expert. I do. A sign spurt. Sign facts. It's not as good as sign facts. Okay. Um, so we will see uh, how well you guys do, but I'm going to pitch you guys against each other. So first question is, which show with a female's name in the title never appeared in a must-see TV lineup with Seinfeld? Caroline in the City, Veronica's Closet, Jesse, Hope and Gloria, or Suddenly Susan? Uh, Hope and Gloria, just because I don't really know that one very well. It's no Dear John. It's no Dear John. Uh, Suddenly Susan. Incorrect. It was Jesse. Jesse premiered like right after Seinfeld. What was uh, Jesse? That was Christina Applegate. Yeah, that's right. Oh. Christina Applegate. Oh, I don't remember that show. Okay, next question. Uh, how many times did Jerry date a woman named Laura? Your choices are zero, one, two, <laughs> three, <laughs> or four. I'm just gonna go three. Five. Three is the correct answer. Ooh, there were three I Laura girlfriends. Knew it so well. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> I didn't just blindly guess. <laughs> Too many Lauras. <laughs> So next question, uh, one of these is not the title of a Seinfeld episode, which? The tape, the deal, the truth, the plan, the revenge. Seth, first. The revenge. I'm gonna go with the revenge. No, it's the plan. Plan. Thanks for being as generic as possible, Chris. You are welcome. They all did start with a the, like every every episode except for one, right? Except for two, well, one was called the Seinfeld Chronicles. I guess it was renamed Seinfeld. Mm. Um, and then I believe it's the fourth episode of season one. It's called Male Unbonding. Last question is, which of these recurring characters appeared the most times on Seinfeld? Putty, the soup Nazi, Uncle Leo, the Moops, or George Steinbrenner? I'm going to go with George Steinbrenner. Seth? Putty. I'm sorry, it's the Moops. What? What are the Moops? <laughs> Moors. Nope, it's the Moops. The card says Moops. That's the answer. It's Moors. It's Moops. <laughs> Moops, Moors. Let's call the whole thing off. Guys, Seinfeld's great. Go watch it. Yep, we think it holds up. Spoiler. <laughs> Seinfeld. It's great. Facts. 
Okay, that brings us to the end of our episode. Uh, we saw the sign. It filled it up our eyes. We signed the sign. We received the sign facts. Yes, we did. And it sign facts. is now slowly trickling back to someone through a modem. That's the wrong song, Zach. <laughs> it is. It is. I'm sorry. I, I brought it. I turned it Ferris Bueller on you. <laughs> All right, we will have mercy on you and end this episode promptly. <laughs> Our next episode will be examining the films of Don Bluth that we certainly remember at least a little bit from our childhood, and you may as well, so join us for that. And we want to invite you, if you enjoy us, subscribe on iTunes. Uh, if you just look on the iTunes store for When We Were Young, uh, you will find it in the podcast section. We would also invite you, if you enjoy the show, uh Please leave us a review. If you write reviews for us on iTunes and give us a nice five stars and your thoughts, it'll both help us make the show better and also help iTunes notice that we exist. Uh, you can subscribe, aside from subscribing to the show on iTunes, you can also like our show on Facebook at www.yshow. You can follow us on Twitter at www.yshow. And you can email us at www.yshow at gmail.com with any thoughts or suggestions you have on it. And we also have just started a Patreon page. If you would like to donate some of your very hard-earned money to help us defray the costs of running a show that we give you entirely for free, uh, we will link to our Patreon page from our Facebook, which again is facebook.com slash show. And the When We Were Young podcast is a production of the MFP Studio Studio in Los Angeles, California. I am and will continue to be Seth. I'm Chris. I'm Becky. <laughs> Dear John. Dear John. <laughs> Dear John. <laughs>